Ladies, thank you very much. It was a busy week this past week, and Sharon and I spent one night over at Camp Kobiak and busy all day yesterday. And um, I don't follow the news like I used to. I follow it enough. But did I hear correct that uh, in New York State they voted to allow for abortion for any reason up until birth? Okay, for those of you that were in Bob's Sunday School class this morning that I was teaching, do you understand my passion now? Do you understand my concern? And if you weren't in Bob's Sunday School class, I don't think that... Uh, Scott, that's, Sunday School's not recorded, is it? No, okay. I'll preach it again. <laughs> I'll preach it again soon. Because I explained this morning to the adult Sunday School class why so many Americans today uh, hate America. I was brought up loving America, weren't you? But it's a fact that people are, are hating America. And I, I raised the question with the Sunday school class, how many of you can, how many of you can explain why? Why that is? Why, why? And I explained then to the Sunday school class why they hate America. And they've got their reasons. And if you're not careful, you'll start scratching your head and you'll say, oh, that's, that sounds legitimate. But they're so far off base. So I will preach that again. We do have to, you know, before we can make America great again, we have to make America good again. Or godly might be a better way of of, of putting it. We will never be great. I don't care who the politician is until we're good. And we're not going to be good until we're godly. And another way of saying that, and I said this to the adult Sunday school class, uh, What's missing in America today is virtue. Politicians today can't even define virtue. Ask them. Ask, ask any of the liberal politicians particularly to define virtue. They cannot even do it. Our founding fathers understood it. And they said without it, you cannot be a, a, a free society without virtue. So uh, I'll be teaching on this quite a bit. As I see the nation going in the direction it's in, I, I plan on fighting back from God's Word because that's the only answer. That, that's the only answer. And folks, either, either we're going to be victorious or we're going to be victims, uh, one, one or the other. But we're not talking about that this morning. We are talking about this morning the pursuit of riches. Now, a lot of people, when they hear preachers talking about money and finances, they, they get a little antsy. And, and there have been preachers that have abused this, and I think still are currently abusing. They'll browbeat you over the head about giving and tithing and what have you, and that's all they'll do. They'll browbeat people over the head about giving and tithing and intimidation or sad stories or what have you, and, you know, that's not right. My approach is teach people about what the Bible says is, 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 is the right way to handle your finances and, and then show them also the importance of tithing and giving. And I'll do that next week. So out of the five messages I'm preaching on stewardship, one of them is about uh, giving because that's an important part. The Bible's not silent about that. But the other four are all about finances, money, what the Bible says about it. Today, we're going to look at the pursuit of riches. And again, you know, if you're a Bible preacher and you preach the Bible, you're going to preach a lot about money because the Bible says a lot about money, as you're going to see right now. So we're going to focus this morning on the pursuit of riches because it's very important that we get this right, okay? For you to be prosperous as a Christian and for you to be 
content as a Christian, you have to understand what we mean by prosperous, and you have to understand the importance of contentment, and you'll be way ahead of the game. So let's begin. The pursuit of riches. Let's start off with a quote. The Bible records the biographies of many rich people. Job was very rich. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were rich. David was rich. Solomon was extremely rich. Jehoshaphat was rich. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. Being rich is not evil, but it brings with it many dangers. And I would add this. Not only can being rich bring many dangers, which you need to be aware of, but the pursuit of riches. So the message this morning, you may be sitting here and thinking, well, this message isn't for me. I'm not rich. No, this message is especially for those of you that think that you need to be rich. You ought to be rich. And if you're not rich, you're being deprived. It's my responsibility to warn you about what the Bible warns you about, and the Bible warns people about the pursuit of riches. And we're going to look to Timothy this morning, and we're going to look to the book of Proverbs this afternoon about those warnings. And Timothy gives a clear warning about the, I would call it, the unbridled pursuit of riches. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 9, he says this, But they that will be rich, fall into temptation and a snare. He doesn't say here those that are rich, okay? He says to those that will be rich, those that are striving for it, are thinking that's the answer to all their problems. That could be anybody in this room. There may not be a rich person in this room, but there can be a lot of people in this room who think that life would be so much better if they were rich and they strive for those riches. So again, he says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. There's a danger. You can be dangerous in your thinking about money as a middle-class person or as a poor person. If your desire is to be rich for riches' sake, to think that riches are the answers to your problem. They fall into temptation and a snare. And he goes on to say further, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. He just listed a whole lot of dangers that people that think money is the answer to everything can fall into. And he goes further. For the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money, that's what he's talking about. People who love money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, here he's listing more dangers. They've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Timothy is warning people about the dangers of pursuing riches in the context that they are unbridled in their pursuit, thinking that that is the answer to all their problems. Now, what's the setting? In what what situation is Timothy uh, making these statements? Well, he is here instructing 
uh, slaves how to relate to their masters in the context of the culture in which he's preaching there. So it's in that context, he's addressing slaves and how they relate to their masters, that he gives this warning about riches to slaves. Slaves who are thinking that if, if I had money, if I had the ability to make money, man, I would have it made. Has it ever been obvious to you of so many wealthy and famous people that commit suicide? Apparently, they didn't have it made. I, I, I think people that end up getting it all realize how empty it is when you get it. You follow what I'm saying? Only those people that have achieved it all can experience what you and I haven't experienced. I mean, they, they've got it all. They, they can have a house in Reno, Nevada, in, in, in France, in Switzerland, you know, and, and their own island down in, in the Caribbean. They got all the toys in the world. Which one do I want to play with today? Do I want to go out on my sailboat? Do I want to go out on my race boat? Do I want to go drive my race car? You know, what do I want to do? And, and, and they're on drugs. How do you have time to be on drugs? Why aren't you playing with your toys? And, and those people get to the point where when they finally have it all, they realize it doesn't satisfy. And their whole life has been consumed with the pursuit of riches. So now he's talking to these servants who have been influenced to start thinking this way. Let's back up. We read in verses uh, 9 and 10. Let's back up to verse number 1. Here's the context in which Timothy is making these statements. He says, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. That they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren. But rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So in this context of warning people about riches, warning these servants about riches... He starts off by saying, listen, servants, be respectful to your masters, whether they're believing or unbelieving. And then he gives these servants a warning that these teachers that were influencing them, promoting false ideas about money and prosperity. He goes on to say now in verse number three to those same servants, if any man teach otherwise than what I'm teaching, that you should be good servants, you should honor your master, you should work hard, you should have a good testimony... He says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he said, don't listen to those people. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy. He said, these false teachers are promoting envy. They're getting you to think about money and what they have and what you don't have. Wherefore cometh envy, then strife, then railings, evil surmisings perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. He says, if you've got a good master, you just do your job and do it well. And I've heard that there's some teachers coming in there that are telling you that, you know, you you deserve better. You, You should have more. You should be envious of them. You should be jealous of them. These false teachers are promoting envy and jealousy, which is which has nothing to do with the Lord. And he he says, withdraw yourself from them. They're supposing that gain is godliness. So he says there are some teachers that are teaching you that if you're godly, you're going to have gain. And if you don't have gain, It's because you aren't godly. That's the prosperity gospel back in the first century. 
if there's ever the prosperity gospel, that is it in, in the first century. And you start preaching that, then there's going to be envy and strife and railings and evil surmisings, which is going to be sus- uh, a suspicion between the, uh, the servant and the master. And he says, avoid anybody that is teaching you this. And then Timothy explains to them, and it's been recorded miraculously, and miraculously preserved for 2,000 years because the truth exists, the same truth exists today. Timothy says in verse number 6, here's, here's the mature perspective. Here is the godly This is the perspective that will keep you from envying, keep you from being greedy, keep you from doing things underhanded that will keep you in despair. He says to them, but godliness with contentment, those same servants, godliness with contentment, that's great gain. And he puts it in perspective. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we will carry nothing out. And then he says this, folks, and this is profound. In having food and raiment, let us be there with content. When we learn that and accept that and appreciate it, you're going to save yourself from so many problems, so many frustrations. And having food and raiment, Let us be there with content. And then he says, and we've already read it, but we'll read it again. Now you got the context. He's talking to these servants. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after and have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Timothy is speaking to them, and then he puts it in a perspective of what they should be pursuing. He's saying, do not be pursuing riches. The, the, the unbridled pursuit of riches with the idea that it's going to solve all your problems and answer all your questions, that is, that is fruitless. And, and we see that to be true. Just look at the people that have achieved that, and how many of them are, if they haven't committed suicide, they're on drugs, or you know, they have wrecked lives and all sorts of things. So let, let's look at what he does say. In verse number 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Oh, but that we would give as much effort towards acquiring godliness as we would give towards acquiring money. Oh, that we would make as much effort to acquire godliness as we do to acquiring money. Because godliness... With contentment, that is great gain. You can't put a price on that. Albert Barnes said, The meaning is that real religion should be regarded as the greatest and most valuable acquisition. With contentment. This word is now used, refers to a state of mind. A calm and satisfied feeling. A freedom from murmuring and complaining. The idea is that piety, which is godliness... Connected with a contented mind or a mind acquiescing in the allotments of life is to be regarded as the real gain. The people that 
have clothes on their back, food in the fridge, a car that runs. Maybe it's old, but it runs. You got a roof over your head. Those people eating a fried bologna sandwich out on their front porch that know Christ is their Savior tend to be, I would say, a thousand times happier than those poor, miserable souls that have, you know, the the swim pools in Beverly Hills. Yeah. And if we're not careful, we'll we'll be thinking, no, we need that too, or that we're we're deprived. Timothy then gives them a heavenly perspective about riches. He puts it in perspective. He explains to them, if you've got godliness and you've got contentment, that's rich. That's way richer than the miserable souls who have it all, but yet they got to have drugs, they got to have their drinks, they got to have their cigarettes, they got to have all this. They're just miserable individuals that have no meaningful relationships with people, no real purpose in life. He puts it in perspective when he says, for we brought nothing into this world. And it's certain. You're not going to carry anything out. Think about it. And all your effort to, to acquire things that you think will make you happy, you didn't come in with it and you're not going out with it. One writer says, everything that we possess and enjoy is not so much a gift as a loan. Strength to labor and the reward of our labor, all worldly possessions and happiness are merely for a time. They are only lent to us during our life to, re- to be returned at our death. To be returned at our death. And then Timothy gives them uh, uh, another perspective about riches and having food and raiment. Let us be there with content. When I talk about the Lord prospering you, I'm talking about it from a biblical perspective, a a perspective that doesn't mean you're going to have fancy cars and a private jet and a a house in Switzerland and a house in northern Michigan. No, it's talking about having food and raiment, the necessities of life. Be content. John MacArthur says the basic necessities of life are what ought to make Christians content. Paul does not condemn having possessions as long as God graciously provides them. He does, however, condemn a self-indulgent desire for money which results from discontentment and leads to discontentment because you've never met anybody that has enough. I mean, nobody ever has, you know, I mean, those kinds of people, worldly, carnal, you know, non-Christian people, there, there is never enough. Uh, who was the guy in New York that uh, went to prison? I think he's died since then, doing these schemes with people. Bernie Madoff? <laughs> he's a multimillionaire, and, and now you've got to scam people? That's not enough? You follow what I'm thinking? I mean, the Bible's real. I mean, God knows people. He knows human nature. Bernie Madoff is a multi-millionaire, but he needs more. So much so that he would scam people out of their money. And the Bible says, having food and raiment therewith be content. And then Timothy teaches them that the unbridled pursuit of riches isn't gain at all, but it's filled with 
dangerous temptations along the way. 1 Timothy 6, 9, but they that will be rich, they that just think, man, I'm going to be miserable until I am wealthy, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Again, if I can quote MacArthur, greedy people are compulsive. They are continually trapped in sins by their consuming desire to acquire more. When we're talking about riches here in this sense that that Timothy is condemning it, we're talking about greed. We're talking about jealousy. We're talking about envy. We're we're talking about thinking that the money is going to uh, be the answer. To, to all of our needs. And that's what Timothy is warning about here. And then Timothy specifies that it's the love of money, not the proper acquisition and stewardship of money that can draw people away from God. It can actually draw you away from God. He says again, verse number 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith. And pierce themselves through with many sorrows. They've coveted after it. They have erred from the faith. Quote says, gold has replaced God for these apostates. I mean, people that used to be faithful, now they're not. Who have turned away from pursuing the things of God in favor of money. How can money control you? If you've been saved any length of time, you know it's a standard understanding that if you're going to go into an area of a town and you want to reach people with the gospel, anybody that knows anything about soul winning will typically tell you that the hardest people to reach are the people with the most money. You know, knock doors in a poor neighborhood, people will tend to be receptive at least more than the people in the multi-million dollar homes. And again, don't get me wrong, we're going to cover this. It doesn't mean that, you know, if you have money, you're you're a sinner. It's it's not saying that. In God's providence, he gives to some people. What did we start off with this morning? Job was rich. David was rich. Solomon was extremely rich. These, These are all God's people. So it doesn't mean that everybody that lives in the fancy house is against God. It's not saying that. But as a rule... As a rule, based on what the Bible says, those people can be the most difficult because money is their answer. Money is their security. Money is their joy. Money is what they live for. And again, not all wealthy people. You know, if God has blessed you, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And we're going we're gonna to give you that perspective as we go on here. You know, and usually God will bless. It's been my observation with people who are blessed financially is they, they tend to be the most generous people. They, they tend to be the ones that God can bless. But as a rule, particularly unsaved people in their pursuit of money, they see money as their God. I like this quote. Those addressed in it, talking about this verse, are not such as have riches, but such as want riches, and are determined whether or no to obtain them. So what... what 
what is the right perspective? Because if you have the wrong perspective about money, with money being so important and so necessary in life, if you have the wrong perspective about money, you can just lead a very frustrated life or a very depressed life or a very woe-is-me life or a life dedicated to the pursuit of something that in reality will not give you what you're looking for when you think money is the answer to everything. So what is the right perspective for a mature Christian to have concerning money? Well, you know, whether, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, what's the right perspective to have? Proverbs 38, this prayer. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. That is a mature biblical perspective that will help you enjoy life. That will help you to get it right and to avoid all the frustrations and the dangers that come to those that do not know or apply this verse. He prays, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give give me neither poverty. Look, there's no nobility in, oh, I am so poor, I am godly. Because I'm godly, I'm poor. And because I'm poor, I'm godly. No, that's the other extreme of the spectrum. That's not what the Bible teaches. God gets no glory in his people not having their necessities met, which is what poverty would, I believe, tend to indicate. Let me praise here. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Give me, Lord, food that is convenient for me. Give me, Lord, what you know I can handle, what you know I deserve. Deserve being based on, I've studied your word, I know the principles, I'm doing my best to live them, or Give me what I deserve. I don't have a clue what the Bible teaches. I, I can't show up for Sunday school and afternoon church and all that kind of stuff. You know, just what, you know, you know. Give me food that is convenient for me. I think it's fair to say that the Lord knows in his divine wisdom that some people can handle riches. Some people are good with riches. And God works through those people to be a blessing to others, to be a blessing to ministry and churches and what have you. But God knows that some of us, if he gave us riches or whatever, we would be playing with those toys on Sunday. We would be traveling all over the world and never going to church and whatever, and it would draw us. That's where we just trust God. Which brings us to the the final points. Let's summarize this, and then we'll continue. We'll finish it up this afternoon the dangers of of riches. And we'll look specifically, the book of Proverbs tells us specifically what those dangers are. But let's just summarize this morning. What do we know from what the Bible teaches? It's my duty as pastor to preach the word, to interpret it, and then make application. Okay, here's, here's how we live it. Number one, every man and woman should work and work hard and follow Bible principles about finances. Okay, that's clearly taught in Scripture. Everybody ought to be working hard, doing it honestly, and following the Bible principles about finances. That's clearly taught in Scripture. The Bible is very down on lazy people, slothful people, people like that the Bible condemns. It clearly says if a man doesn't work, guess what? He shouldn't eat. Number two, every man and woman should work hard to provide for themselves 
help the poor, and give tithes and offerings. That's very clearly taught in Scripture. Every man and woman, yet you should work hard to provide for yourselves, but also the Bible is very clear about helping the poor and those who are justified as poor, lazy people, you don't need to help them. You know who the Bible speaks of most often when it talks about helping the poor? Widows and orphans. A lazy bum? No, you, you, don't, you feel no obligation to help a lazy bum. Now, some, now an adult male or man that <clears throat> suffers from some infirmity or mental or physical where he can't work, sure, that would include them. But that's where you need discernment as far as who to help. But we learn from Scripture, every man and woman should work hard to provide for themselves, help the poor, and give tithes and offerings <clears throat> to, to further the gospel. Number three, every man and woman should be content with what God provides. You work hard, you do the best you can, you improve yourself, you learn skills, you go to school, not because you're pursuing money thinking that's the answer to everything, but in obedience to God's word about being the best person he's made you to be, to take advantage of the talents and the gifts that he has given you, and you're working hard to do that, and then However he chooses to bless you, he blesses you. I mean, you've read the story of of where the the man hires these people and he pays them different wages, and they've all worked the same time. That's just an illustration that God knows best in God's providence who can handle it and who can't. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful weight off your shoulders when you understand, no, I'm not as rich as brother and -and so-and-so or Mrs. so-and-so, but, you know, I I have what I need, and, and I can be content with that. And then lastly, every man and woman should understand that God's prov- in God's providence, some will have less and some may have much, much more. The point is we all work hard. We all develop our talents. We all use our talents. And then we trust God as to how he will provide. And to some, he may give less. And to some, he may give more. To some, he may give much more. To the, ones he, to the, to the born-again believers to whom he gives much more, I would assume that these are good people. They have the right perspective on, on their finances. Otherwise, God wouldn't be blessing them. And he's blessing them for a reason and will use them in ways to promote ministry and to, to use ministry, uh, give to ministry, give to projects. I've seen that to be the case in my 40 years of ministry. There are people that are blessed of God that we would probably consider rich, and this goes back to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, goes back to Chicago, Illinois, and continues to a degree here in Mayo, that there are some people that are really blessed, and God uses those people. They, they have a gift of generosity. The Bible calls it a gift of giving. That is a specific gift in the Bible. So again, if you are blessed and God has blessed you, you know, don't feel guilty about it. Just be thankful for it and be sure you look to the Lord as to, okay, how can I be a good steward? But I think the bottom line is, and we're done, I think what is clearly taught by Timothy here is if you look to riches to satisfy you, then you're putting riches ahead of God and you are in a danger, you have drifted from the faith. A mature person knows money's necessary. God has gifted me with a brain, with talents and abilities. I need to fully develop them. I need to work hard. And whatever God gives me, I will be content. Because my trust and my faith is in 
him. He's going to get me through the tough times. He's going to be the one that I can count on. He is going to satisfy me. I can be more satisfied on the front porch in my rocking chair with a fried bologna sandwich than the guys driving around Beverly Hills in their Lamborghinis. And that should be of great comfort to all of us in this room. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mile Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.